Hi, I'm Tony Denbach, the lead pastor of Clearview Community Church. And today we're continuing in our series based on the Gospel of Luke. And we've entitled this series, Investigating Jesus, because that's exactly what Luke does in his book. He explores the person, the life, and the teachings of Jesus. Now today we've come to the fifth chapter and we'll be looking at verses 12 through 26. Now there are two distinct sections here. So let me read the first and found in verses 12 through 16, and then we'll read the rest later. It says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Now, in this first section, we see Jesus' reputation continuing to develop. We've already seen him perform miracles. He has healed many people. He has demonstrated his spiritual authority by casting out demons. But here we see him breaking down another cultural barrier. He heals a man, the scripture says, was covered with leprosy. Now, today, leprosy is curable. But in Jesus' day, it was one of the worst things that could happen to a person and was a death sentence. It was thought to be highly contagious. And so those with leprosy were evicted from their homes and their communities. When they were in public, they had to yell, unclean, unclean, so that no one would come near them. They certainly would never approach anyone for fear of being stoned. And yet here we see this leper who saw Jesus. He had obviously heard about him, had heard that Jesus had been healing people in the region. And he decides to take this huge risk. He approached Jesus, fell to the ground, and made a remarkable declaration. He said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now we notice a few things here. First of all, he calls Jesus Lord, recognizing his authority. It was a sign of respect. He didn't come rudely making a demand. He came politely, with, but with determination. Secondly, he risked everything. If Jesus had responded as many would have, the man would have been wounded, perhaps killed for daring to approach. And thirdly, he came with faith. He didn't say, I hope you can help me, or even please. He said, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, as shocking as this leper's actions were, what Jesus did was just as shocking, if not more so. Jesus touched the man. Now, you need to know this may have been the only physical contact this man had had since he had contracted leprosy. Jesus was breaking all the protocols here, including making himself religiously unclean. He didn't care. He reached out, he touched him, and he healed him. Jesus declared three wonderful words, I am willing, and healed him immediately. Jesus responded to the faith of this man and changed his life. 
And then Jesus told him to go and do what the law required. See, if someone had a skin disease, before they were allowed back into community, a priest had to affirm that there was no more infection. Jesus knew that in this man's case, it would be a big deal, and God would be glorified for this healing. Now, this section ends with the crowd continuing to grow and Jesus finding the need on regular occasions to get away by himself to pray. He knew that his strength came from his Father, and he would do whatever he needed to maintain that connection. We would all do well to take note of that. Now, the next section begins at verse 17, and here's what it says. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Now, the theme of perspective is one that I revisit often, as I find it can be one of the key issues in people's lives. I see that theme in these verses. Someone said that we see what we are prepared to see. I believe that to be very true. So here we find Jesus ministering again in one of the towns around Galilee, a region made up largely of lower class people. The crowds were growing and flocking to him because of what they had seen and heard, and he had begun to make enemies as well. Jesus here is entering Capernaum, a town from his own region in which he'd already performed miracles. He came to a place where the people knew him, and many had already come to their own conclusions. Now, what I'd like for us to do today is to put ourselves in the shoes of those involved in this story. First of all, we have the friends. See, Jesus was apparently in a large house, which was filled to capacity with people, there was certainly no room for four men to carry in another man on a stretcher. So they climbed up onto the roof. Houses had flat roofs in this area. And they cut a hole in the ceiling and they lowered the man down in front of Jesus. I mean, these guys were devoted friends. What was their expectation, do you think? We don't know how long this man had been in this situation. He may have been paralyzed from birth, or he may have fallen off a roof and broken his back. We don't know. What we can ascertain from this story, however, is their purpose for bringing him there. Everyone knew what they were expecting. 
See, Jesus had been in Capernaum before, already performing miracles. Others had been healed. And if Jesus could heal some, he could certainly heal this man, couldn't he? So somehow arrangements were made to bring their friend to Jesus. And then we have the paralytic man himself. What do you think he would be thinking? Here was a helpless man. He could really do not much on his own. He relied on his friends to take him to see this miracle worker. We don't even know if it was his idea to go or not. One of his helpful friends may have just decided for him. And what's he going to say? No, I don't want to go. If they wanted him there, they'd just pick up his bed and they would carry him anyway. Now, I'm sure that he was hopeful. I'm not sure what he was expecting, though. In verse 20, we see that Jesus responds to their faith, meaning the friends. It seems to me to imply that he might not have been so sure about what was going to happen. Another group we see here is the teachers of the law. Now, these guys were the ones with the vested interest. See, the people had always relied on them to answer all of their questions about God and about Scripture. Now, here was this hotshot prophet who was not only teaching, he was actually performing miracles. He was doing what they could not hope to do. Now, to be honest, they really didn't know what to make of Jesus. So we have the friends, we have the paralytic, and we have the teachers, all from different perspectives with different reasons for being here. But all of them would have had the same expectation. They expected to see Jesus heal this man on the stretcher. But there was a fourth person that we need to talk about today, and that is Jesus himself. See, amidst all of the confusion of the crowd and the noise and the jostling, Jesus all of a sudden sees daylight above him where the roof used to be. He lifts his head as this paralytic man is lowered ever so gently from the ceiling by his four friends. Now all of the room goes quiet as they watch this incredible scene. The roof would have been made of dirt, thatch, or tile over beams, so there would have been a process involved to create an opening. No doubt the people directly beneath them were having to scramble to make room for this stretcher. And the teachers of the law would have raised their eyebrows at each other as they watched for the inevitable to happen. Everyone just knows that Jesus is going to heal this man and he's going to get up off that mat and each of them will respond accordingly. But Jesus sees things differently. And what does Jesus say? He says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven? <laughs> the man's paralyzed. He can't walk. He's laying helpless on a stretcher. The miracle worker is in the room, and all Jesus can say is, friend, your sins are forgiven? Is he joking? I think that's the question that everyone is asking. What is he thinking? Like from the friend's perspective, they're thinking that the entire trip was a waste of time. They didn't drag him all the way down here to have to carry him back home. See, the paralytic himself is no doubt thinking, great, thanks a lot, guys. I knew this was too good to be true. Why did you haul me over here? The teachers of the law, though, they go ballistic. What is their response? It's interesting. See, they don't say it out loud, but they're thinking, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins 
but God alone. See, in their minds, they had already pegged Jesus as a miracle-working teacher. Maybe they could live with that, but only God could forgive sins. When Jesus made that statement, he took everything to another level, and he did it on purpose. Now, I meet people all the time who say that Jesus never claimed to be God, but he did, both directly and indirectly. Here is one of his indirect claims to divinity. Imagine their faces when Jesus challenges them. Beginning in verse 22, it says, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Now what we see here is a classic case of differing priorities. In his book, Myths the World Taught Me by by R. Scott Richards, we read about how God and man have a differing set of priorities and perspectives. Now, how true that is in our lives. See, if you want to grab the attention of man, deal with the physical. See, after Jesus fed the 5,000, the people would have followed him anywhere because they loved getting fed free food. But Jesus looked at them and said in John 6, 26, 27, Very truly, I tell you, you were looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. What was he saying? To us, the spiritual is important, but the physical really matters. See, God looks at the world and says, the physical is important but the spiritual really matters. Now, I saw this debate illustrated very clearly in the articles that were in the news several years ago when Ted Williams died. Some of you older, older folks might remember him. Ted was one of the greatest baseball players ever and holds some records that may never be broken, but he died and his children were now fighting over what to do with his body. One of his children wanted to have him cremated and the other wanted to have him cryogenically frozen so that someday, when science had made enough advancements, the family could be together again. Now this was a very sad story, but other than the absurd circumstances, the storyline is very familiar. See, they think this is all there is. Jesus would say to each of them, let me put you into a relationship with God and you will have all of eternity to spend as a family. But all they can wrap their heads around is this physical existence. It's what we see. So throughout Jesus' ministry, he tried to bring this perspective to the people to whom he ministered. Yes, he did heal people, and yes, he fed people. He did that because he cared. He alleviated suffering wherever he went because he genuinely loved people. He still does. His true followers do as well. But what he wants all of us to clearly understand is that this is all temporary. See, we live in bodies that are aging and will eventually wear out. Those who are healed will all eventually pass away like the rest of us. But what is truly important is the heart. 
Because when God created humanity, he breathed into our nostrils the breath of life and we became living souls. He made us for eternity. So as with this paralytic, the greatest thing that we could ever hear from Jesus is the statement, friend, your sins are forgiven. See, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. When we confess our sins, he is faithful to forgive and make us new. And that's a miracle. Would you pray with me today? God, we thank you for your word and for the truths that you reveal to us. Thank you that Jesus came so that we could have life and have it to the full. And for those listening today, if they don't yet know you, my prayer is that they would acknowledge their need of you, confess their sins, for we are all sinners, and allow you to lead them. Help us all to live as you have taught us, to love you from our hearts and love our neighbors as ourselves. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So go from this place with the confidence that God has come to us. He has sought us, he has found us, and he has redeemed us. Be inspired by his grace, humbled by his love, and empowered by his spirit. Let him live in you and through you. May you be his hands and his feet in a world in need. Thank you and God bless.